back to the ND, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Molly McEnany, and for the past week, I've been investigating the supply chain issues facing farmers along the Central Coast. Over the past couple of years, every single cost in agriculture has gone up. The price of boxes is up 15 to 20 percent. Labor costs are exponentially increasing and are up 4.5 percent just in the last year. And as a result, farmers are being forced to downsize, sell land, and let go of workers. USDA raised its estimated range of food inflation to 6.5 to 7.5 percent a year, according to the May Food Price Outlook Report. This is the highest forecast for all food prices and restaurant prices since 1981 and the highest grocery store price boost since 1980. However, according to data from the California Budget and Policy Center, wages have stagnated for low and mid-wage workers, and pay disparities by race, ethnicity, and gender continue to persist. Compared to the Golden State's soaring cost of living, workers' share of California's income has fallen, and on average, they earn $7 less per hour than U.S.-born workers. Immigrants comprise a third of California's workforce, but over the past few years, the migrant workforce has decreased significantly. America's labor shortage is a direct result of slowing immigration, and it's hitting the agriculture industry hard. The U.S. is missing nearly 2 million workers, and California, whose economy relies on migrant and seasonal farm workers, is being backed into a corner. Water, land, gas, and most recently food are all hitting record high costs, and food prices are expected to keep rising throughout the rest of 2022. Many Californians have begged the question, why? Why are general food items and certain products climbing along with inflation? Dana Olson from the John Givens Farm told me that the issue can be broken down into a study of simple economics. What distinguishes a red leaf lettuce from a red leaf lettuce in Oxnard? Nothing. The price of lettuce is not decided by any one farmer, but the collective farmer. The market determines the price. So when locals ask why prices have gone up, farmers say because it costs $22.15 an hour to pick. It costs an arm and a leg for water because we're in a drought. Rent prices are up, labor is up, fuel is up. And the supply chain issues for purchasing seeds, fertilizer, ancillary things like parts for tractors, stakes for cucumbers, and plywood for planter beds is only making matters worse. To summarize, this is a lose-lose situation. I got 55 people I have to keep working, and I can't do that on, on $12 zucchinis. That's not going to That's not happening. And I just tell them, you know, just with the new box prices, the boxes are, are nearly two and a quarter. And so for myself, if I sell zucchinis for 12 bucks, I'm paying 15 bucks an hour to have a partisan and, and two and a quarter for the box. And at 12 bucks, at 12 bucks a box, how much do you think is left? <laughs> not so much. And that's not addressing the cost of the land through the year, the cost of overhead, um, the cost of having me on staff to sell it, and you know the water to water it. Yeah. It's that it's, it's just come to a thing that in, in California, twelve bucks that's not happening, and people are just going to have to pay more for food. And the thing is, it's going to put some farms out of business, and then with the scarcity, the price will go even higher. And we're just we're very used to cheap food in the United States, and that's. It's, it's still going to be cheaper than other countries, but not as cheap as it is. Possibly the most important opportunity for farmers right now is soil building. At the John Givens farm, Dana tells me that they make their own compost and spread it diligently on each field. After a crop of lettuce is done, they wait a few weeks, spread compost, and then get started again. Now they do this several times a year. Dana says if you're not making compost and spreading it, you're not a sustainable farmer. 
but you don't get more money for being sustainable. Especially in that kind of situation where the, uh, the farming on the land is more intense. You, you just got to have a soil building program. Yeah. But, and that's kind of one of the hassles that's happening in the United States is conventional agriculture has not been uh, soil building. That fact helped create the Dust Bowl um, conditions in Oklahoma in the 30s. And, but but topsoil is being lost left and right all over the world, including California. Because of, partly because of lack of soil building. Yeah. Smart farmers develop soil now to use in the future, and dumb farmers hope that somebody else will take care of it after them. And so it represents a cost to society if, if they don't have a soil building program, but it's a long-term cost. More costs with unpromised benefits, but that's the risk, Dana says, of being self-sufficient and farming with the planet in mind. Farmers across the state have been sounding the alarm on food and labor shortages since the beginning of this year, and more so, migrant workers have been protesting unsafe work and unfair wages for years. So what's the solution? Dana says, valuing workers. If most ag labor is from Latino-Hispanic workers, if you think 105 sucks, think what it feels like working out in the field when it's under five. And so my... my uh, my respectful admonition to all people is, you like vegetables? Thank a migrant farm worker. <laughs> They're doing yeah. the hard work. Last week on July 7th, the House Agriculture Committee held a meeting right in the heart of the ag community at Fresno State University, which is one of the most well-known ag schools in the country. There, they discussed the issues facing specialty crops, ag science, ag business, viticulture, dairy farming, and labor shortages. President Saul Jimenez-Sandoval of Fresno State says that by the year 2050, there will be 9 billion people in the world, and that farmers will need to produce 60% more food, and that the Central California region will have to bear the brunt of this challenge. This is the type of uh, forum that we need in order to really press the issues of water, labor, that are so pressing to our farmers today, but not only to our farmers, but also to our community as well. Food supply of, of California is now, of course, a national security issue, which of course is going to become also an international security issue. How do we resolve this issue then? We resolve it by better engineering. With better engineering in the farm, we get better products. We get more production in the farm. But at the same time, we also need better laws. We also need better legislation. We also need better policy that speaks to the reality of the farm and of the community. It's the community at the end that's at the stake of all of this. What we're seeing today from labor shortages to supply chain delays, these aren't the first challenges that local farmers and workers have faced, and they certainly aren't the last. The incredible thing about those of you who put food on America's dinner table every night is that you understand that change is constant. And, and change is hard, but change is constant. And that's why we've been able to remain competitive as the number one agricultural state. Hopefully Santa Barbara's agriculture sector can weather this new storm too. This year, Santa Barbara's Mental Wellness Center is hosting its 26th annual Health Arts Festival. This Saturday, July 16th, De La Guerra Plaza will be full of local artists showcasing their work from paintings to jewelry to poetry and arts and crafts. 
Art is a combination of self-expression and self-love this year, as they are happy to be back after a two-year hiatus. I'm here with Anne-Marie Cameron, head of the Mental Wellness Center, to talk about this year's festival, as well as some programs that are yet to come to Santa Barbara. Thanks for joining me on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. So to start off, can you tell me a bit about why the Mental Wellness Center places such an emphasis on art and self-expression through this festival? Well, this is our 26th annual Mental Health Arts Festival. So for a long time, we've celebrated that artistic expression is one form of how people manage their mental health. Certainly the last two years, we've had people who've been shut in and isolated and and not able to do that. And so art has become a hobby of a lot of people as a mechanism of coping and and, uh, expressing yourself. We're excited to be able to have the show in public again and have the face-to-face interaction with the community. And how have you seen this festival or art in Santa Barbara in general support those suffering from mental health challenges? You know, have you seen people come to this festival and kind of take up a new way to, you know, transform their life? Well, uh, so the festival, you know, like I said, 26 years, some years it's been small and other years it's been really big. Some years it's been at Oak Park and it's been at the De La Guerra Plaza for the last 15 years, except for the last two. And the art is really a reflection of what people do when they're feeling good and when they're feeling bad. And so it's kind of interesting because some of the art is avant-garde. It's something that, you know, you have to have a an eye and appreciation for. Other things are more crafts and it's a way for people to uh, engage their their hands and their brain to be on the same page. And so some of our artists also show down at the, um, the art walk on Sundays down by the beach. So, so we have some very talented and gifted artists. I think the number one thing that, that we want people to know is that this is a show about celebration of talent and gifts. And that the mental health component is is secondary. It's um it's something we all experience, and I think we have a greater appreciation and sensitivity of now. Yeah, and can you tell me? You know, each year yeah. it's kind of a different theme. A different book artist gets featured. Could you tell mm-hmm. me about this year's feature artist, Christine Kelly, and her background in mental health advocacy? Sure. Well, Christine has been uh, showing probably for at least the last 15 years, maybe longer. I don't know the exact number, but she's a she's one of our what we call veteran artists. She's celebrated across the country uh, for her glass work, her glass fusion work. I have on my refrigerator three or four of her beautiful heart magnets that she makes that hold up all of my reminders. She has a real eye for color and um, expression, and she lives up in the Lompoc area. So this will be a little trek for her to come down and, and show her works, but she generally gets a booth in the Stork Placida, you know, that little walkway between uh, by blenders. Yep. And she's always there. And every year I ha- I go to her booth because I want to buy something for a friend or, you know, stow away some Christmas presents for this year. They make great stocking stuffers. She has told me when she was selected this year to be the featured artist, she told me that definitely the last two years, if she didn't have her craft, she she would have been in trouble with her mental health because this is what allows her to express herself. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because the past two years have kind of been you know, there's no community gathering, there's no this, that, and the other where people can kind of get together and create together. 
So how has the mental health center brought people together throughout the pandemic and how is that kind of turning into a transition phase right now for you, I guess? We were only closed three days after the pandemic started. And then we figured out a way to keep people engaged because we have an outdoor space at our center on Garden Street. So we started serving people outside immediately. And we transitioned a lot of our support groups to Zoom. And those still go on. One of the things that's kind of cool about technology and the advent of COVID is that access to support online has just exploded. And we have people from other states and other communities that are in our support groups. So they found us and they found a home and community online with us. And I don't see that ever going away. I think we'll continue to grow both elements, the online platform and the face-to-face. And um, as we come back to the face-to-face, I think people are really hungry for connection, social connection. They might've seen their family a lot over the last two years, but you know, the, the meeting new people, sharing common struggles is, is really good for you. And uh, at the Mental Wellness Center, we have a lot of, a lot of programs that facilitate that connection. Hopefully if COVID doesn't, you know, um, come back in a in a rampage again this fall. We will be open five nights a week for people to stop in and have services available and lots of fun things to do here. I know COVID continues to kind of wax and wane to the point where we don't yep. know what to expect next and when we can go out and all of that yep. stuff. You just have to take it one day at a time, you know, and have some patience with yourself and others that that plans change, you know. Yeah. Well, and for 75 years, the Wellness Center has had to adapt. That's a long time for an organization to be open and aiding a community. So I guess in your time there, what advice would you give to people who are trying to seek help, but maybe are too far away or to whatever it is? And and Mm -hmm. how does the Mental Wellness Center offer support to the far reaching corners of our community? Well, that is a great question because I think sometimes we're misunderstood. We are a complement organization to therapists and doctors and clinical care. So someone might have a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a case manager. And what we stand in to do is to help people with their practical needs. They're looking for housing. They're looking for work. They're looking for social connection. Perhaps one of the biggest things we do is we support families as they experience mental health challenges within their family, because it affects everyone. It affects the siblings and you know, moms and dads and everyone struggles when someone that you love struggles. So we, for 75 years, our mission has been to help people where they're at with what they need today and just be with them because mental illness can be a lonely illness. Stigma used to be far worse. In my career, one of the things I'm most happy about is that young people, especially, have really cast the stigma aside and said, no, you know, this is normal. This this happens to people and it's not their fault. And when you get help, it can get better. And uh, that's that's really important to know. I think just to say, tie this up, my thing about the Mental Wellness Center is that we are here for anybody who's starting this journey or struggling in this journey and they need they need a source of support to find resources or find other people that are going through the same thing they are. 
Wonderful. No, and definitely thank you for adding that in because even some people locally probably don't understand, oh, like the mental wellness center is just there to help me do everyday things. It's like, yeah, that's right. that's the point of community building. So I did right. want to ask, you know, is there anything else you'd like to add, not only about the festival, but about future community events and services mm-hmm. that the center is planning for the second half of this year? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We are having sort of a back-to-back experience. Now that we can get outside and play and it's summer, the Arts Festival is a safe way to support the Mental Wellness Center, um, more more pointedly the artists that are showing their works. And the following Saturday, the Mental Wellness Center is a, a beneficiary of a beautiful walk up in Buellton, the Alma Rosa Winery hosts an annual walk for our benefit and it's hosted in the winery which is um, up in the the hills up there it's gorgeous what's exciting about this time is that we'll be in person again we were in person last year it's a spectacularly beautiful winery and it's an early event so we start at nine and we're done by noon on a saturday morning so it's um it's fun and it's good for the mental wellness center well, thank you for sharing that. I am sure people yeah. will be looking into that and listeners as well. So I hope so. And if anything, head out this Saturday and, and meet some more people, do some art, meet some artists, you know, get inspired. That's kind of the collective, yep. the collective thing right now. People need to be re-inspired to get back out there because it's been a tough two years, but mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate you sharing. And is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I thank you for for this opportunity. You know, we all know someone who needs support or needs information. And so I like to just tell people, maybe you don't need the Mental Wellness Center right now, but you maybe need to have that that information in your back pocket or your wallet to share with a friend. So just know that when they call here, a live person will will call them back or talk to them and meet them where they're where they're at. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Anne-Marie Cameron, head of the Mental Wellness Center. And I'm excited to hear about what happens this Saturday. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Once again, I'm your host, Molly McNanny. Tune in next week for another episode. 